welcome to the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am Jay and I am joined as always by Eddie. Hello. And today we are talking about two games that have no connection whatsoever. We just want to get them out of the way and off the list. So that is number 22, Outrun, which uh, came out in 1986 for various platforms, is what it says in the book, which will come on to why that's problematic shortly. And the other one is number 99 in the list, which is Defender, which came out in 1981, and that is specifically the arcade version. So again, some they specify, some it's all, and yeah, we'll come on to why that's an issue. But I would just like to say that also, I'm hoping this episode doesn't run too long, because I am freezing. I am actually completely freezing. Found out about five minutes before we started recording that my office, well, I say office, recording studio, back room, whatever you want to call it, doesn't have any heating in it. And it's been quite cold today. (laughs) So I am as cold as a witch's tit, as they say. I'm sat here with a hat, (laughs) socks, blanket, the lot on. And I just want to get, get this out of the way as quickly as we can so I can go and warm up again. With that prefaced, uh, yeah, shall we start on, I don't really know, shall we start on Defender? That's the lowest one down. <laughs> yeah, it's, and, uh, it's a bit on. like being given the choice, do you want to be punched in the balls or punched in the face? <laughs> Let's start with the face. I mean, there's probably people out there that love it, and we're probably going to catch some stick again for today's episode, much like we did the Pac-Man and Tetris one back in the day. But I don't even think this one's as beloved as they are. It it gets brought up a lot as being one of the earlier games in the arcade and all that, but I just don't... There's not much to it, I suppose, is my point. And it's not even got the charm of Pac-Man or the addictiveness for some people of Tetris, I don't think. No, I think we discussed this after the last episode when we finished recording, but there was a game that came out for the PS4, and it was one of the launch games, I think, because the PS4's launch uh, titles were notoriously bad. They weren't Mm. great, there wasn't anything to really sink your teeth into, like um, a traditional Sony... Like you get with Nintendo, where you, you always get like either a Zelda or a Mario to launch a console. Sony normally does similar with their own franchise, but PS4 just launched with nothing except for Resogun. And mm. it looks like it is a very much a spiritual successor to Defender. Is it on the list? No. No, we've no. got Res, haven't we? I think Res is yeah. on there, which I'm probably getting confused with. But no, carry on. It is, and Resogun is an addictive game. It's stupidly addictive, and it it sounds like the gameplay is very similar to this. So you fly left to right, and you can scroll up and down the screen, and you can shoot at enemies, and you can save human beings, and then sort of carry them into like little drop ships and sling them in, and they get teleported, and you rescue them, and then if you drop them from a height, they die. Or if the aliens pick them up, they die. But yeah. Other than that, there's not really a lot to talk about gameplay-wise. No, so let's let's cover the gameplay off for people who haven't seen it or played it. I don't think there'll be many out there, but you, as you've just said for the other game, you're a ship, you move left to right, aliens are abducting humans off of the surface on the floor of the game, which is, doesn't look great, but we'll get to that in a second. So the aliens will lift, the most basic ones anyway, will lift the humans directly upwards, you shoot the ship out and you have to swoop down and catch the human before they splatter into the floor and then put them down on the floor to save them. 
and then that's pretty much it for the whole game. I mean, they do change it up a bit. Some of the enemies move in different patterns, or I think that's mostly it, actually. They move in different patterns. And this was a an arcade game, so you were paying actual money every time you wanted to play this. And I just don't feel like it's got that quality of a Pac-Man where you play it, and if you are into that kind of game, you go, oh, I've got that score, and I know where I messed up on that last level. I'm going to try it again. It's too... I don't know, because you can see the whole screen on Pac-Man. You can see how close you are to finishing it, I think is probably one of the things. So if you see that you've only got like five pellets left and you get caught by a ghost and die, oh, it's so close to finishing that level, I'm going to give it another go. Whereas you don't get as much of that with Defender because you're just carrying on and carrying on until an arbitrary score point, I think it is, that moves you up to... yeah. Or there might be so many humans you've got to save, or if so many die, you lose. And So I just don't think you've got that addictive quality quite as much with this. I mean, 1981, so it is it is a stupidly early one. But watching a video, because obviously we can't play an arcade version of it now, and I've played it on consoles, I think like there's a, it was probably a Commodore 64 or a DOS version or something that I've played in the past. But yeah, it's just it doesn't look good, and it sounds horrible. It is an assault on the ears when this game starts playing. And don't get me wrong, for 1981, they've done quite well with the sound. The, you get sort of an afterburnery noise when the ship moves. You get the explosion noises, which that that typical Atari explosion noise where it's just a cacophony of sounds all bleeping at once. But it does. You see an explosion, you hear that in 1981, and it probably goes together quite well. And there's even this really weird... I don't know how to describe it, but when your ship gets blown up, you get that explosion. But you get this like residual tinkling noise in the background, which I've not heard on many other games, and it sounds really good, especially through headphones, as I was watching the playthrough earlier before we started recording. And I'm quite impressed with that, but it is they are all horrible noises at the same time. And I can't imagine wanting to stand in front of it and play it for longer than 10 or 15 minutes. I've been... I bet arcade owners were pulling their hair out when people were playing this game a lot because it sounds horrible. And it's made me appreciate how good the Star Wars one we talked about a few episodes back looked and sounded because this looks as basic as it comes and it sounds really aggressive and not nice to listen to. And then two years later, start the Star Wars one does so much more with, the, I assume, the same or very similar resources. So it's made me appreciate that one a bit more, if nothing else. When you look at the history of it, it does... It, I mean, they, they claim that they drew inspiration from Space Invaders and Asteroids, which you can sort of see in the gameplay. Yeah. But I would say that Space Invaders and Asteroids had more charm. And that is saying something, because Asteroids is so bland, it's untrue. You're just a little triangle in the middle of the screen that's pew-pewing these big geometric blocks that are shuffling towards you. And then, I mean, as iconic as Space Invaders is, it it still has an air of charm to it. Yeah, the, the characters in it, I think, are yeah. the little aliens, for what, again, for what limits they had, look really good. The shapes that they've used look like aliens. They've done... They've done the job. Whereas the the first alien you encounter in Defender is like just a blob, like a pink circle with a yeah. what looks to be potentially an eye on it. It doesn't look very alien-y. And I just think, yeah, I think you're right. Space Invaders is just... As much as I don't love that game either, 
I have played quite a lot of Space Invaders because I had it on a phone, I think it was, and I didn't have any other games on that phone at the time, so I did play it quite a lot. I got quite good at it. And I think they did like a Pepsi version of it and stuff, didn't they? Like promotional versions and stuff like that. So over the years, I've played it quite a lot and I don't love it, but it it feels more like it has that I'm just going to have one more go quality to it. And the characters and everything just look nicer. And I think they're more iconic. You showed me any sprite from Defender and I'd struggle to pin down what game it was from. Show one from Space Invaders. You know it's Space Invaders straight away. Yeah, and then for some weird reason, they obviously didn't do much else with the franchise until 2002 when they decided to do a reboot-ish on the PS2, which went third-person flight sim, and but it was similar gameplay and again looked like shit even on the PS2. They then ported it to the Game Boy, so the same thing that was oh. on the PS2, so... So you can port it to a... Look, if it's low res enough to run on a Game Boy Advance, you know it's not a particularly strenuous game for the console to run. So, But they ported it to the Game Boy Advance and then tacked on the original Defender with it as if to say, no, no, honestly, it's always been shit as a series, so this is why <laughs> this one looks crap, because our hands are tied. I think the poster's the thing it's got going for it most. I quite like the poster or the what would have been the side of the cabinet. That looks quite nice. And from there on, it just it goes downhill a bit. It's not really our era to talk about, though. I mean, it predates me by five years. So by the time I was old enough to play games like this, it was already well outdated. And like I say, I probably had it for Commodore or... I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I had a TV boy, if you remember those. <laughs> they were like... 50, 60, 70 quid in Argos catalogs around Christmas. And it was it claimed to have 500 games in one, but it didn't. It had like 60 maybe, and then they just had loads of different names for the same thing. And <laughs> this this was perfectly legitimate as well. It wasn't like one of those dodgy Game Boy cartridges you get. This was sold in high street shops and everything. And you plugged it directly into your TV, and the, the actual thing was the controller. And it just had a load of ripped off atari and commodore games and stuff like that and they were all terrible because they'd had to recode them to put them on this thing so it wasn't blatant copyright and and some of them weren't even games like some of them were literally it was a seesaw and you just had to keep landing on either side of it to get put and i was like how dare you call this a game but then it had pitfall which was obviously pitfall and and it had certain games like that and defender was one of them so i've played it on like a badly ported version of it on that but yeah it's just not our era i suppose if you were 14 to 18 19 in 1981 this probably would have blown your mind a bit especially with the sounds being as detailed as they are even though they are horrible so i'm guessing they would rate it higher than us but personally i just i can't get involved in it much i can play it for about 10 or 15 minutes and that's about my film which is more than pac-man and more than tetris so i've got to give it that yeah it's not saying very much though is it (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can't remember what we scored them, but I think it was like 40 and 50 or something, wasn't it? So, yeah, something like that. So what score are we giving Defender? Charitably, 51. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, points for the time period and the influence to an extent, which I think we, in retrospect, we've been harsh on Pac-Man and Tetris because we didn't give them any points for that, really, uh, or not many, anyway. But for me, I could play this a lot longer than I could Pac-Man. I just, I'd get more enjoyment out of it. So I think for me, 
it has to get more. So yeah, 51, we'll mark it in the books and swiftly move on. Hey you, the boss sent me. We heard you like to play games. Now normally, we wouldn't suggest playing games with people like us. People who do usually end up swimming with the fishes. You know what I mean? But if you're talking about the family, a two to four player crime themed elimination game from Mayfly Games, then maybe you're making us an offer we can't refuse. So don't be a wise guy and head over to MayflyGames.com now to get your copy. Capiche? It's not getting much better, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> we'll move on to Outrun at 22. So, as I mentioned, the, the book lists it as various platforms rather than one specific. So a lot of these came out for lots of platforms, but they'll say arcade or they'll say specifically the SNES version, etc. This says various, and the problem that raises is the arcade version of Outrun is a lot better than the 16-bit DOS version <laughs> of Outrun. So which one do we base it on? Because I've played both. They're the only, I think they're probably the... I think I might have played the Mega Drive version as well. So I've played three different versions of it of varying quality. Now, I quite like the arcade version because it was in the local pub when I was about 13, 14, and we used to go in and play pool, and it was in the corner of the pool room, and I spent quite a lot of money on it because, it's again, it's one of those games where you just want to see if you can get a bit further. You're on a time trial, getting to checkpoints, and the further you get, the more the landscapes change and you go into different environments. So it's quite nice to be able to see that progression and be like, oh, I wonder what the next area is going to look like, or I wonder what's coming up. I'll just put another... And from what I remember, it did the this sneaky little, oh, you've run out of time, continue, and then it counts down from 10, and you can put 50p in and carry on from where you were, rather than having to start again. So it was quite good at sucking the money out of you because you just wanted to get that extra checkpoint every every time. The DOS version, not so much. I mean, if you, if you thought Defender was an assault on the ears, just go and look for a video of Outrun on DOS because, I mean, how did you describe it before we <laughs> before we came so on? So it's like a MIDI synthesizer was trying to play the theme tune to the original Blind Date and someone decided to beat it to death. <laughs> It's very blarpy, is, is is what I'm trying to get at. And then like the the high range notes of ear piercing yeah. when they when it's when it tries to go for a high range and fails. But the actual game on 16 bit DOS looks quite good. The visuals aren't bad at all. Just the sound doesn't match up to the visuals whatsoever. It just sounds horrible. Yeah, it's it's a weird and it's definitely a weird one. So I think that's if we were rating it based on that version. It's not getting a very high score. If we're rating it on the Mega Drive one, middling, because it looks pretty nice and it sounds all right on the Mega Drive, I think they've done a fairly faithful port over to the Mega Drive. So that would, for me, it wouldn't be my favourite game and I wouldn't be able to play it for long before I got bored of it. I think when you move an arcade game onto a console that's like that, where you've got unlimited credit, in inverted commas, it takes some of the... I don't know, the joy or the the drive to want to keep doing better out of it because you're not physically paying for it. So you don't have to do well. You can just do badly and then continue for free. And I don't know if the Mega Drive 1 had limited continues or whatever, but you get more than you would in an arcade for no money once you've bought it. And for me, that always takes away a little bit of the 
the ambition of trying to do well on it. So that's why I wouldn't be hooked on it as much as I was the arcade one, I don't think. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I don't think I have ever enjoyed an arcade port, ever. Um, I, I've always enjoyed <laughs> arcade cabinets for what they are. And I think the games in them are designed particularly well, usually, or as with a broad stroke. So it's, yeah, I've found it very jarring when they've literally just lifted and shifted something that was an arcade title that is specifically designed to hit that addiction receptor and get that one more try and the extra 50p out of a customer. And they've... There's two ways that I've that have always confused me about arcade titles where they've lifted it and shifted it and kept lives in and it's like why there's there's literally no need <laughs> to keep lives in it if you want to have a timer fire enough have a timer but that, because that sets a challenge for you whereas lives it just seems a bit mm. petty you're not getting any more money out of me for it and it just seems a bit arbitrary in terms of oh you didn't dodge that pixel perfect jump you're dead you're gonna have to restart again and yeah or where they do the other side of the coin and it's just a straight port and it's like well i haven't got the investment to do very well or try as hard because you've already got my money so if i don't want to do well at this track that i'm not going to lose anything so yeah i just don't get it and then i think the third one which was probably an attempt at a middle ground was where you get lives but you only get a limited number of them yeah so you can never have more than three continues and three lives or whatever it is and then that isn't a true representation because in the arcade you can always pump more money into it and they're designed to take lives off you aren't they so if it's a direct port but you're limiting me to nine lives or whatever it is whereas the whole game is designed to kill me as many times as it can to suck more 50ps or pounds or whatever it is out of me then you just get frustrated because you're like it doesn't feel like it's possible on these amount of lives without me getting extremely good at it so it's a difficult thing to do i think the only one i've well i have enjoyed a few but the turtles ones i really enjoyed but by that same token when me and a mate finished them earlier this year on the cowbunga collection i didn't feel as accomplished as i would have done if i'd have finished it in an arcade even if it had cost me 50 quid in the arcade I'd have felt more accomplished. And also, I think it's that atmosphere. Like when I talked about when me and Kev finished the Simpsons one and we got a little crowd huddled around us by the end of it, waiting to see if we finished it or not. It was it was like a special moment, whereas sat in your front room, just you or just you and a mate, you don't get that. So, yeah, I can see where you're coming from about arcade ports just not hitting the spot, I suppose. But back then, especially, if the choice is go to an arcade and spend 100 quid playing it or buy a home port and yeah. get some enjoyment out of it i suppose the back then it was that's the thing nowadays you can go to these places where you spend a tenner and you get unlimited goes for an hour and then it doesn't cost you anything and you can get the best of both so yeah different time again i suppose i would have probably loved a a turtles port back then i didn't get one till <laughs> later in life when i got the right console to play it on but yeah i used to love that i'd play it every time i went to the arcade that and the simpsons were just two of my favourite arcade games. And like you say, most other arcade games that got ported over uh, ported over, I had no particular interest in. I don't like racing games that much, and it tended to be a lot of racing games in arcades, didn't it? Yeah. So they were the ones that got ported over them. One-on-one fighters like Street Fighter. Was that ported from the arcade, or was that ported to the arcade? Oh, that's a very good point. 
That's an interesting one. Yeah. Something I'm surprised that they've never done is make a Dark Souls for the arcade. Because yeah. the level of investment you get when trying to face a Dark Souls boss, that is a, right, I know what I did there, I'm going to give this one more go. I mean, graphically, arcade cabinets aren't the best, usually. They're, they're, they're quite low res and they're, quite, they're a lot poorer in quality, but... It's, it's gone the opposite way, hasn't it? Back in the day, they were so far away from anything that the home consoles were. And now it's the other way around. It, they're as powerful as a home console, if that. So yeah, like some some of them look really good. Like the the more recent Tekken yeah. machines look pretty decent from what I've seen. But then you get certain ones that yeah, it's because you don't want to stick a five six hundred quid board in an yeah. arcade that's going to be gathering like a couple of quid every few hours. Do you? it's it's the way arcades have gone now. There's just not that risk reward, I suppose. So. I assume they cheap out on some of the components just to make the cabinet as cheap as they can, but still fulfil what they need yeah. to do. But yeah, Dark Souls would be a good one because it's, well, it is like an old school arcade game, yeah. isn't it? It's designed to kill you as many times as it possibly yeah. can. So, Yeah, um, but in terms of Outrun, the, graphically, I mean, I suppose it's it would be very churlish if we were to stick with the DOS version and the Mega Drive version. <laughs> I mean, Sega originated in arcades anyway so it's probably only fair that we pick on the um, the arcade cabinet version but it's the way it's designed graphically is it, it's both odd and a bit familiar at the same time because you've got that it, it's of it's a ferrari isn't it the car that's in um outrun and it's quite a low angle on the back of the car so rather being set sort of square and slightly above the the rear bumper it's sort of down low as if you're almost in the driving seat of a ferrari because they're obviously quite close to the road and then you've got that pan upwards slightly and that massive expanse of sky and the slowly panning clouds above your head so it does have that feeling of scale and massive expansive backdrops and it doesn't have that pivot that Mario Kart did it doesn't have that weird swing that the SNES Mario Kart did and I find that odd you're almost a fixed point aren't you and the road moves like as you turn the things turn in front of you that direction and yeah like you say you never get that motion sicknessy things go too fast if anything it feels a little bit sluggish the way that it handles round corners but it's everything feels like it's coming over the brow of a hill like you can't see the track more than a couple of feet in front of you and that's why i think most of it is very steady sweeping bends which again helps with the motion blur and the sickness and stuff because you never get a really tight corner because you couldn't in that game you wouldn't know it was coming so everything is very sweeping but there is because of the way it handles it's very easy to skid off the side of the track and crash into a diner or a road sign or something and and you either spin out or it just flips you out the car completely and i mean it's very um cartoony in its style anyway it's not going for realism and when you get kicked out the car it's just you and the girl that you were sat on the road looking disappointed while the car's upside down next to you and then all of a sudden it'll flip over and you carry on. So it's got that going for it. I mean, again, even with the arcade versions, 
the arcade version I played in that pub was the cabinet, standard cabinet, joystick, couple of buttons version. But I think I've mentioned before in Meadow Hall near where we are, the shopping centre, they used to have this huge car parked in the back of it, a full size. It looked like a Cadillac, which was weird because that's not what's in the game. But they got this full-size car that was wired up to the game and the screen sort of went round the front of the car. So you got a full screen in front of you and two little side ones that acted as the sides of the game. And when you turned the wheel, the, the car on the screen moved with it. So again, that version for me is a lot better than the bog standard version because you're getting that wheel feedback. It's on like a, I don't know, 120-odd inch screen or whatever it was in the back of this arcade. It was about a fiver ago, uh, so you never got particularly far on it unless you were really good at the game. But again, another experience that if we were being pedantic about it, we could go, well, it says various, so we'll rate that one and give it a really high score. But I think you're right. I think going for the bog standard 1986 arcade release is the way forward in terms of reviewing it. I mean, it came out the same year as me, and I'd probably say it's aged slightly better than I have. But only slightly. It still looks like a nice game, doesn't it? And it, and on the right platform, it still sounds quite nice when you've not got the MIDI sort of screeching in your ears. So I, I don't rate it massively highly because, again, racing games is not my thing. But it's not really a racing game. You're not racing against anyone apart from the clock. You just It's like a driving proficiency game almost you drive as well as you can and as long as you don't crash too many times you're going to keep making checkpoints so yeah it's it's a weird one to categorize and i think that's probably why it did so well because it's not your bog standard overtake everything and try and win the race it's just have a have a cruise in your car and just try and get to the checkpoints in time and see what we throw in front of you next yeah, I was when I was reading some reviews and watching a couple of um, online reviews of it, everyone was raving about, oh, you can see the DNA in stuff like Project Gotham Racing and Need for Speed and Burnout, and it's like, none of those games are anything like OutRun at all. <laughs> Burnout, it's all about crashing and crashing in the most stylish way. Project Gotham Racing is just a bog-standard racing game. You just get a massive selection of cars. So how that DNA has come from this, which had one car and one car only, and it drive in Outrun, you sort like you say, you sort of drive like your nans at the wheel. (laughs) Because of how the, the, the scrolling and stuff like that, it doesn't give you that sort of sensation of velocity. So it is just like... Your, your nan's taking you on a trip somewhere and you just don't get much of a view of the road because you're in the back seat and you're only eight and you can't see what's coming towards you but old nan's just slowly taking <laughs> it round the bends i don't know if this is a fact or not but the impression i get of it when i play it i should have researched this really is that they were trying to encapsulate that feeling of driving with your partner or friend or whatever down route 66 and just taking it all in it has that sort of cruise nice you're driving for the sake of driving and seeing all these nice things rather than it being about speed or a race or anything like that and i suppose the timing element just comes in that you want to get there before it gets dark or you die or whatever but i just feel like it's got more of a a laid-back cruising approach yeah which is something that 
no other game does, really. I mean, no. a lot of games have, like, the scenery porn thing where they fill the skybox with, like, really pretty landscapes and you just can't go there. It's just something mm. off in the distance that looks really nice to really push the graphics engine into your face. So you can go, oh, my God, this game's amazing. Actually, it's essentially a, a series of boxed-off rooms that I have to go from one to the other in terms of gameplay, whereas you don't... You can take moments in action games and stuff like that, where or open worlds and stuff like that, where you can just take in the scenery or walk somewhere. You don't have to run everywhere. You can take it at your own pace. Mm. But driving games, it's now all about that need for... No pun intended. That need for speed. <laughs> that yeah. need to go fast. It's got that Sonic mentality. You don't have just a cruising game anymore, which I'm supposing is a bit of a niche audience, but still. I'm surprised it's not like a mode in Mario Kart, though, because they are fantastic environments to drive around, and you miss a lot of them because you're just focusing yeah. on getting the win. So if they could implement a mode in that where, I don't know, maybe where you need to finish between two times and not go too slow, like so you can't just... Whiz, or something, I don't know, something like that, so you can take it all in. But yeah, that I feel like that's what they were going for at Sega. They wanted to make something pretty that you could appreciate how much effort they put in to the surroundings while you were doing it, I suppose. So in terms of scoring, I'd be putting it in the 70s somewhere, I think. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I wouldn't put it like high 70s. It's it's not that good, in my opinion. Compared to other stuff that we put in the 70s, it ain't that good. Um, so like 72, 73, maybe. That kind I was of thinking low of to mid-range. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, 73, because it's not really spawned a franchise either, has it? I know there's no. been there's been updates to it, maybe, but it, they've never took off. It's not it's not on your level of sort of Sonic or, or like Mario Kart or these ones, or even stuff that started in the arcade, like the million versions of Pac-Man and, yeah. and that kind of thing. It just hasn't had that success, I suppose, but people still really do value it quite highly. And so do I to an extent, just because of that experience of playing it in the pubs and stuff. And I mean, there's, I think there's a, I couldn't tell you which game it was, but it was a football game that was in the pub as well. So they, they change between two cabinets every so often. And the other one they got in was a football game. And it was like your old school SNES graphics football game. But it was really zoomed in on your one player. So you were like dribbling up and down the pitch and you could only really see you and maybe parts of other people on the pitch. So you could pass it to them if you saw on the little mini-map where they were. But it was really zoomed in and then other players would come in and tackle and then when you shot it went to like a picture of the net and you could aim where you wanted to shoot it. And you didn't even get a full game for 50p. You, you got like, if you were losing at half time, that was it. You either had to put another 50p in or it was just game over. <laughs> this is how tight this game was. But I've got really fun, I don't know what it was, but I've got really fun memories of that as well, just from playing it in the pub when I had a few drinks and it wasn't my go on the pool table. So yeah, it's got that, that nostalgia for me. So I can appreciate why people would love it even more than I do, because they probably spent the, their days playing it in the arcades and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll stick with 73. I think that's a nice fair score for that. And once again, we've got way more out of those games than I ever expected us to. Yeah. Much like Half-Life last week, we've hit the half hour mark. But we did again prepare. We've got a couple of things that we want to talk about. So I'll let you lead on the first one because uh, I've got 
some animosity <laughs> for the second one, so I'll I'll save that for later. So yeah, as uh, as most of our listeners will be aware, um, the port for Hogwarts Legacy has finally limped its way to the Switch, and I thought it would be an interesting thing to have a bit of a retrospective, see how we feel about it. Since well, you were playing it in our very first episode, I have played it since, and to to say that the Switch version has come out and has been a bit disappointing would probably be a bit of an understatement. I mean, apparently it looks quite pretty for a Switch game, but apparently the load times are an absolute atrocity. And I mean, this is coming from someone that owns a PS5 that doesn't have load times anymore, and it just sort of... The open (laughs) worlds are just seamless, and the Switch is like the the red-headed stepchild that lives in the basement in terms of games <laughs> console, so it's not as powerful. So it is a bit cruel to pick on the Switch, but it's just not as good a port as people were hoping, I think. Yeah, and I think it's it's good that it's become accessible for people who don't have more powerful systems, because there there will be people out there that are massive Harry Potter fans that only have a Switch because it's... I don't want to call it a more casual console because it's not. It's it's very capable and and it's got some fantastic games for it. But I feel like of the three consoles, that's the one that a lot of people will buy if they're not that into video gaming, but they want something to play on. And it's portable, so that's handy. You can take it away with you and all that other business. So I just feel like there will be a large swathe of Harry Potter fans out there that haven't been able to play this amazing game for nearly a full year, and, and we're really keen to. And for those people, I assume it's amazing. And to you, that is just the norm. It's what you've you've picked it up, and that's just how it is. And that's how it has been for all of us for years, up until the latest console generation, you've got to remember. Load times were always a thing. Yeah. And, and some of them were like, you look back at original Skyrim, and it yeah. was like... There were some some play sessions where you spend longer loading and reading the little facts yeah. than you actually did playing because every door you went through there was like a two minute load, every cave you went into another two minutes. So it it just it's one of those things that we I think we're a bit spoiled now on PlayStation and Xbox because they just like you say they don't exist. I remember when I got my Xbox Series X and I installed some because I had Game Pass, so I installed a few games on the internal hard drive just to see what what it was like in terms of load times and quick resume and stuff like that. Because another thing, quick resume, that's like two, three years old. And I couldn't live without it now, but that never used to be a thing. You used to have to watch all the title sequence every time you put a new game on. And it's just amazing how quickly you forget what things have changed. But yeah, back to the load times thing. Oh, I, I installed a couple of games, and I think one of the ones I installed was called Forager. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like a little indie 2D game. And that loads almost quicker than you can press the buttons. Like you press the button and you're in the next screen. And I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. And then I stuck something really intensive on. And that did the same thing. And I was like, this is unbelievable how far it's come in one generation. And Switch is sort of, like we said last week, Nintendo don't follow the same release schedule as everyone else, do they? So their consoles tend to be like, if you were numbering all the consoles, the the series, uh, the Xbox One would be like three, the Switch would be three point five, and then the Series X would be four. It sort of sits on the border, doesn't it, of yeah. the two console generations for every other console. 
And yeah, it was expected that it'd have load times, but I think they're just they're pushing the level of what people will tolerate now. I mean, Sonic Superstars has stupidly long load times for a 2D, well, 3D, 2D Sonic game. And I was getting frustrated with those, like I say, because we've been spoiled a little bit. But I can't imagine Hogwarts Legacy, it's going to be, what, your three or four minute load times whenever you transition to a new, bigger area? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I I know it's first party developed, but Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom don't really have massive load times. And I get that that is architecturally built for that piece of hardware but so it surprises me how much of a load time they've actually added in or had to add in but with you saying skyrim had load times that i learned more about skyrim's (laughs) world than i did sat in loading screens than i did in any sort of sort of flavor text of books or anything like that i didn't read anything just sat there and in all fairness a lot of the time with skyrim the game used to crash behind the loading <laughs> scenes so you were sat at 99 percent going jesus christ it's been 20 minutes what the hell's going on <laughs> before you did um, and then realize oh it's died i saved about an hour ago to skyrim's credit or bethesda's credit they utilize their load screens quite well in that like you say yeah. they give you lore or uh, they give you an object to look at that you can rotate and seeing all its glory and that kind of thing. So you're not just sat there losing interest or twiddling your thumbs. I wonder in terms of Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, though, it's to do with the graphic style as well. Yeah. Because the the Hogwarts Legacy graphics are obviously quite intense. It's yeah. a fully 3D rendered world, isn't it? Whereas Tears of the Kingdom is... I don't know how you'd describe it, because it's 3D, but it's almost like paper cutouts in certain aspects isn't it that pop off the screen so i'm wondering if that takes less time to render it than than hogwarts does and that's where this load time issue is coming from i mean it's it's a good enough game that you could sort of put up with big load times if that's the only way you can play it and i don't i don't want to be those kinds of people that like bash things and say oh you shouldn't be enjoying this because it's got long load times if that's how you choose to play it and you're enjoying it that's perfectly fine that's each to their own i don't know if i could do it now but i'm in the fortunate position that i've got other consoles i can play it on some people might not be some people might not have access to the other consoles because their boyfriend might be playing fifa on it and their only option is to play it on a switch so everyone's in different situations aren't they and if this is how you manage to play it as much as you can then i think that's perfectly fine and it's just an inconvenience unfortunately yeah, coming from two white privileged guys in their <laughs> mid thirties, it's a bit it's a bit rich for us to sit here and rag on people that can only afford to buy a switch. But like you say, I if that is how you the only way you can afford to experience it, by all means go out and experience it. It is definitely a worthwhile game. I I still think quite fondly of it, and I um mm. I was looking forward to DLC for it, which is unheard of, because normally <laughs> you get to the end of a game and you're like, please don't give me any DLC. I know you've left it open for DLC, just please don't try and rinse me for another thirty quid or a season pass or something. Just don't. Just make another game. Whereas this, I'm kind of like, do you know what? I do want a bit more DLC for it. Mm. In the in the wait time before Hogwarts Legacy Two, which there will inevitably be, 
So I, I do sort of miss the time I spent in the world again. But like you, I could not, having experienced it on a PS5, then go and particularly how many rooms you have to go in and out of in in sort of the, the castle and stuff yeah. like that. How many times you must just, oh, I need to go into this door now. I'll put my pad down for three minutes and go make a cup of tea and come back and, oh, it's still loading again. It, I, I think that would really grate on me after a while. It must impinge on the fun of it as well when you just when it's so staccato and broke up and yeah. you just can't get into it because you're having to wait every time and and just to double back to your point as well I don't think it's even all about if that's the way you can afford to to play it some people will have the money for a PlayStation they just don't want to spend it on a PlayStation because yeah. this this might be the only game they want to play so and then like I said they might have a PlayStation but that might be one or the other's primary route of playing FIFA or GTA or something with their mates, and then the other person has to make do with the the secondary console, which is a Switch. And yeah, I think the handheld aspect of it is pretty cool. The fact that you can take it on the go with you, such an intense game. I mean, I know there's this PlayStation TV screen with handles that's just come out that you could also also play it on the go with if you've got a strong enough internet connection and all the rest of it. But I think as a pure way to get Hogwarts Legacy on the go, so if you want to play it in your lunch hour at work or something, this is the best way, even with the load times. You, you'll probably only get about 30 minutes of your, your lunchtime hour to play it once all the load screens and stuff have finished. But at least there's the option there. You don't have to cart in an Xbox all the way to work or drive home every lunch and play it. So it's, it's horses for courses, isn't it? It's different people have different requirements and i think even if i'd not played it on console the huge load times for practically every room would irritate me but i think it's enough of a good game that it wouldn't put me off either if that makes sense i suppose it also brings kids into the demographic as well because obviously the switch is viewed as more of a child-friendly console because i'll agree like the xbox and the ps5 have gone a bit serious in terms of their game catalogue it, it, it's rare to find a game on them that is built and designed just for kids and just for fun and it not be like a greedy disney cash in sort of thing whereas the switch has always been that family friendly console and it's cheaper than yeah. a ps5 and an xbox so it does bring that do you know what my kid has been nagging me for the entire year for Hogwarts Legacy couldn't afford it because it was only on the expensive consoles. However, now it is on the Switch. So here you go. Merry Christmas. That's that's the thing as well, isn't it? You look at the consoles and you can pick up a Switch for not much more than 100 quid second hand now if it's an early edition one. Whereas if you're wanting to pick up a PS5, you're talking 350 400 at the minimum. I would think even for a second hand one. So that's a massive offset there if you only want to play one game. And then the actual cost of the game itself, I think, is slightly cheaper on a Switch. Probably not much these days, but even so, there's money to be saved there. So this is definitely the most economic way of doing it. And obviously, when you're doing something economically, you have to offset it against something else. And that is, unfortunately, the load times. But it's, it's not a big deal, especially if you're somebody who's not used to the new consoles and how quick they load. If you're somebody that's still on an Xbox One or a PS4, 
this isn't going to be a massive difference, I wouldn't have thought. It's only because we've been so spoiled by the new stuff. Yeah. And I admit, yeah, both of us are spoiled. We're spoiled for choice. We're spoiled by how good the new consoles actually are. And then you've got PC gaming to throw into that as well, which just takes it to a whole nother level. But the Switch is a very handy little capable machine, and it looks... I prefer playing some games. I, like I, I bought the Sonic one on Switch specifically because I knew it would look really good on that OLED screen. It was a, 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 cho- a decision that I made because, one, Sonic games for me have always been handheld because I had the Game Gear and, and that kind of thing. So my Sonic roots are in a handheld console, so I'm like, I want to be able to play this handheld. So that's why I went with Switch. But I also knew it was going to look great, and the fact it takes a couple of minutes longer to load didn't bother me that much i noticed it because of how quickly everything loads on the newer consoles but it didn't upset me so yeah i don't think it's fair for people to be slating those who want to enjoy it on a switch each to their own and just leave people be yeah well uh, now that we've covered that while well, you mentioned the phrase spoilt for choice um on spoil in general the gaming industry has spoiled us once more with a couple of games hasn't it jay uh, right, well, before we get on to that, actually, I'm going to double back because you said they don't make games for um, kids on, on the big consoles anymore. And I just want to refute that with the, the release of, I don't know if you're aware of the cartoon Bluey, which oh, yeah, yeah. Which, sound, which sounds like an adult's program rather than a kid's program <laughs> where I come from, but it's this kid's thing about a, an, an animated dog. They've released a game and oh boy, is is it a mess. I mean, it is an absolute state. It It's not... The guy who I watched review it said he doesn't understand where they've pitched it. And, and like I said with Five Nights at Freddy's the movie last week, very similar. Because the things you do in the game aren't engaging enough for an adult. But the game is so glitch-ridden and full of bugs, kids will think they're having a fever dream if they play it. <laughs> and and I watched a clip of it, and, and they're literally all this character had to do was jump across like four platforms in a playground and the characters kept splitting and duplicating and then merging back together. It was the weirdest, trippiest glitch you've ever seen. So this one character jumped on and then it like loads of versions of it flew off towards the screen, but it was still there. And then as it jumped again, they all flew and slammed back into it and like reformed into one character again. But it, it like happens in cutscenes and everything. Characters will just warp in from nowhere, and it it's had it looks like it's had literally no quality control done in it whatsoever. And it's like a forty pound game, and you just oh know that God. kids are going to ask for it for Christmas. And it's just an absolute mess. And I don't know who made it, but if it was Game Mill, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Based on what Did we're about know- to discuss. <laughs> Did you know they'd actually made a bluey Xbox? Control uh, console, no, but, but that looks to good. launch it. It is literally, <laughs> you know, the, the the main dog from yeah. Bluey. It it's just that painted on the rectangle I mean, that, that sounds, is a new Xbox. That does sound pretty cool, to be fair. Like as limited edition consoles go. Oh, that is ace. I, <laughs> I actually quite want that. <laughs> I have no interest yeah. in Bluey, but that does look really cool. But yeah, the game itself is horrific. It's so badly made. And the fact they've launched a console with it 
like a, a variation yeah. console with it for a game that's so badly made. I mean, I assume they're going to patch it. They've got to, based on the footage that I saw. It's almost unplayable. Like and like the guy said in the video, I can't remember his name otherwise. I credit him. the The adult would understand that they were glitches and just get on with it. But the kid, like his kid, was like, "What the hell is like? What's going on?" Basically, <laughs> what's why happening is the, like, to ten... Bluey? <laughs> Yeah, why is the ten blueies splitting into all over the screen and warping and stretching? <laughs> so it's a bit of a mess. But back to what we were going to talk about, and you might have noticed I mentioned Game Mill there. Jay in the editing room here with a bit of admin to clear up. We are about to talk at length about Game Mill. We refer to them making games multiple times, but I just want to point out they are publishers, not developers. While that means they don't code the games themselves, they are responsible for hiring the studios to make these games and should be holding those studios to certain standards, which they clearly are not, so our ranting is still valid. If you're not familiar with Game Mill, you're lucky, quite frankly. We are very familiar with them, unfortunately, because they are the studio that produced Skull Island, Reign of Kong or whatever it's called, and they have, they're back with a new game. They've not rested on the laurels. They've not tried to fix Kong. They've just pressed on. And they have got arguably one of the most popular licenses of the like 2010s in The Walking Dead. And somehow they've acquired the license <laughs> to make this game. Now, the game itself, if, if I didn't tell you it was Game Mill and you didn't see any footage of it or anything, you, the, the idea of it sounds pretty cool. So the game is, it, it goes back to the very start of Walking Dead. So Rick wakes up in a hospital and that's where the game starts. And you go through all the beats of, I don't know how many series it actually runs up to. The the playthrough I watched went up to sort of Herschel's farm and that area. But I presume it goes on and you get all the governor stuff and, and probably stuff beyond that. But the premise of it is that you get all these little decisions that happen during the show. And you can either pick what happened in the show and crack on with it as it did. Or you can choose a different option. So one of the examples that came up on the playthrough that I watched was there's a bit where Carl's not well, so Rick and whatever she's called, son, isn't well, and they need to go and get medical supplies, and Shane and the girl whose name I can't remember either because it's been about 10 years, go to a like medical facility to get the, these supplies to, to help Carl get better, and as they're running away, she trips and falls, and you get the option of let the zombies eat her, and just go off with the medical supplies, or go back and rescue her and lose the medical supplies. And it varies from how the TV series was. And on the version that I watched, they they did both. They like re rewound footage and, and played through both versions. And if you let her die, obviously she just dies and Carl lives and it carries on. If you rescue her, Carl just dies. And that's like he's like a really influential character later on, but he just dies in series one. So it, it's quite I like the concept. Like another bit was um in the early series there's a bit where Merle and T Dog are fighting on the roof. And Merle's obviously massively racist and, and in the programme they handcuff Merle to the roof and leave him to his fate and T Dog comes with you. On this, you have the option to side with T-Dog or side with Merle. And if you side with Merle, he handcuffs T-Dog to the roof and you abandon him up there instead. And then he becomes 
from what I could see, it looked like he was almost going to become a villain because he he won't like. You, you see him later on, and he, he's not happy. Still, basically, you, you can't win him back round. So yeah, you get all these decisions, but ultimately, I don't think they make for much. They just tend to replace the character that died with the one that didn't die in forward progression. So instead of it drastically changing things, they just substitute one person in for one person out. So they've not made much of the decisions from what I could see. Maybe some of them are a lot more intense. But from the video I watched, it didn't seem to change all that much. But I thought it was a fun concept. I'd like to quite play through the game and make those decisions myself. The problem is that Game Mill have made it. (laughs) <laughs> and from everything I've seen so far, they do not know how to make games at all. And I know that's rich coming from us because we don't know how to make games. <laughs> yeah, we don't. But I I reckon with a year's practice, we could make something as good as they've made. Because it, it beggars belief, like how bad it is. It starts off for the first, I'd say, five minutes of the playthrough I watched. There was no sound <laughs> at all. Just no sound. And then all of a sudden a cutscene happens and then the sound comes on. Then the the zombies just completely ignore you half the time, even when you just stood directly in front of them. So there's bits where you have to sneak around them, but you don't need to because they just don't <laughs> they don't even acknowledge your presence when you're stood nose to nose with them. There's a part in the game where if you haven't downloaded the patch for day one, it just crashes and you can't get past it. So they they released, and I'm not even joking, this is like a multi-gigabyte patch, and all it does is fix that bug (laughs) that you had to download day one. I mean, and the list goes on. It's just, it looks horrific for a start. It's like PS2, 3 graphics at best. I mean, it's everything that's wrong with Kong, but worse, and and in, in a in a much more high-profile franchise. And I know there's not really been many good Walking Dead games. I know the Telltale ones are held in high regard. And I think there was a VR one that was quite good. Is it Saints and Sinners or something? Yes, yeah. But yeah, even for a franchise that doesn't do well with games, this is a low point. I mean, the the nicest thing, the, the best thing you could probably say is that the game mill as a company, I like that kid in class that wasn't particularly good at anything. And the teacher always used to, in like the end of year report, used to say, well, they certainly approached the subject with enthusiasm, and that was the best thing you got out of them in terms of feedback. And then the, these poor franchises are like the smart kid in the class that keeps getting lumbered with them to do a project and it's like oh don't don't put me with game mill miss please please don't put me with game mill miss he's gonna mess it up again now this is this is the weird thing though so they made nick all-star brawl and all-star brawl 2 and they're not meant to be bad games so it's almost like there's two two teams in the one studio i mean just just for just to balance out the fact that they've got a couple of good games there, this is the company that made Over the Road Big Rigs Racing. <laughs> so I'll let that one just sink in for a second. Because <laughs> oh. that may be the worst game ever made. And we're not going to waste time covering it because I don't think there's a YouTuber out there that hasn't covered it. But if you want to see what um, Big Rig Racing is, go and watch the AVGM video because that sums it up 
but it, it's a game where you basically can't lose, even if the other racers beat you. In the first versions of it, the other racers didn't move off the start line. There's no limiter when you go in reverse, so you can end up going at like <laughs> 10 million miles an hour and just blasting off the side of the map. And this is a fully released game that they charged actual money for. And I think the box versions of it go for quite a bit of money now because obviously it's not sold anywhere anymore. But yeah, that how that studio even survived that game is beyond me. But the fact that they get these fairly big licenses. I mean, you've got the Walking Dead one, which isn't even listed on their Wikipedia at the minute. I don't know if that's purposeful or somebody just hasn't bothered to do it yet. <laughs> but you've got like Skull Island, Rise of Kong, Zombieland Double Tap Road Trip. So they got they got the Zombieland franchise, which it wouldn't surprise me if half of that is what is now in the Walking Dead. Yeah. And they've just lifted it and changed the characters. Uh, they've done Nickelodeon Kart Racers 1, 2, and 3. I don't know how they were received, but it's still a big license. G.I. Joe, Frozen. They've done a Frozen game. It was a DS game, but still, it's still the Frozen franchise. They seem to do a lot for Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. So, yeah, it just it beggars belief how they're, how they're getting these franchises. They also made Big Buck Hunter, which I think is another terrible like shovelware-ish yeah. game. So it, they must have they must have some sort of information on someone is the only thing I can think of. Then they're holding it over someone to keep getting these licenses. Because they don't get they don't get any better. If that Walking Dead game is indicative of the quality they can churn out now, then they've not improved since Kong. And I don't think they've improved much since Big Rigs over the road racing or whatever it was called. And and it's not just that, it's the collaborations that they get handed out. I'm just looking at them now. So they've had 34 game collaborations with Valve. And I mean, I know Valve will get into bed with anybody. <laughs> as we as we discussed on a previous episode, they will allow <laughs> the worst rip-off game imaginable to be hosted on their own Steam platform. So Valve, probably not the best uh, example there. But Epic Games, nine games with them. Um, Activision, 12 games with them. So there are plenty of companies that are just like, oh, just give them another try. Give them another try. And they just seem to be churning out shit. It wasn't Game Mill that did find the Freeman, or as it called, was it? It weren't, it weren't actually <laughs> no. them, because it sounds like it's on par with their efforts. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the rant over for today. I told you I was in a bad mood when we started recording, and it's... <laughs> It's bore fruit once again for our listeners, so hopefully you enjoyed that bit. Have we any other business to discuss? Or are we are we just about done? Is there anything else you want to rant about? Is there, Do you just want to go on about Game Mill for another half an hour? Because I could. <laughs> Nothing's pissed me off this week, so we're, we're in a good place. Saying that, Game Mill, if you want to send us review copies... I can't promise we'll say anything good about it, but you can do. We, we're more, more than happy to to suckle from your gaming teats and try out your, your latest offerings. But yeah, we, we've not had a bad week other than that, have we? So I think that was the only thing that really annoyed me watching. Because I do quite like The Walking Dead, and I'm still waiting for a game that I'll actually enjoy. The Telltale ones are okay, but again, we said it about Five Nights at Freddy's. They're not really a game in as much as... They're more like doing admin, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or reading a book, which isn't a bad thing. But yeah, they're not 
the Walking Dead franchise lends itself so well to a Dead Rising type game or a Resident Evil type game. And the fact that we've never got one that's of that ilk that's any good just really irritates me. Because I know it went downhill a bit towards the end of the TV show, but it's got strong characters and it's got a decent storyline. And I think there's so much they could have done with it and nobody ever has. So when another one came along that I'm definitely not going to spend money on, it just irritated me. Yeah, I think if um, I think if something like Days Gone had been mm. made with the Walking Dead license rather than the utter horse that it was when it uh, finally trotted out of the gates, I think if it had done with some sort of love and some sort of like backing from a studio rather than just whoever it was that made Days Gone, which I can't. I can't even be bothered to try and remember who it was. But yeah, I think if it had been made along those lines, I think it would have probably been a, quite a good game, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it wouldn't have took much to turn Days Gone into an enjoyable game, I think. And I think that franchise and a little bit more love and attention would have been it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it just... It, I mean, it's still better than anything we've had Walking Dead related, apart <laughs> yeah, from... That's, that's fair. The, the two we mentioned earlier on. So just trying to think if there's anything else, but I don't think there is. We've, we've got a plan for the Christmas episode, haven't we? So we've uh, we've got a little bit of a jump. Apologies that we've missed a week, essentially. we would, I just wasn't very well and didn't have the the fortitude to do some editing when my head felt like it was going to explode. So we had, we had a bit of a week off. But yeah, we're back on it now, and there'll be more stuff coming out soon. Again, I'm halfway through editing the Patreon episode and I've just not had time to finish that off, so there will be another one of those going on. We've planned out the Christmas episode, so you can look forward to the the first annual Bucket List Gamer of the Year awards. We won't reveal any categories just yet or what may be in them, but that's something to look forward to. Uh, we will probably put out a fan vote as well on Patreon, so you guys can vote for one of the categories. So keep an eye on that. If you would like to be in with a chance of voting, all you have to do is head to patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers. Sign up to any tier. The vote will be open to every tier on there, so you can support us for as little as, I think it's £2 or £2.50 a month, the lowest one. So if you forgo your, I don't know, Costa Coffee one day and, and chuck it our way, you'll be able to vote on there. No pressure if you don't want to. There'll also be additional episodes going out. We might do a little bit of extra Christmas content if we get a chance to record it and edit it as well, so good time to be a bucket list gamer patreon follower which brings me on to i'd like to say thank you to our current patrons so we have got harry flynn in the couple of coins tier and we've got rick flair and the sweaty llama in the bucket kicker tier so thank you to you guys for supporting us as always we couldn't do it without you well we could but we wouldn't have any money left so it's much appreciated and yeah until the next episode i think it's about time for me to say that's goodbye from me and that's goodbye from me (laughs) another 10 pence (laughs) 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 goodbye everyone (laughs)